All right, welcome back to this Ocean Life podcast. Uh, thanks for being here, everybody. Always good to have you, and always pr- appreciate your support and uh, listening to the fun stuff we're trying to put together here. I'm excited. It's summertime. It's early June, and that means there's a lot of good, all kinds of fun stuff happening, including the upcoming Molokai to Wahoo, you know, unofficial world championships of paddleboarding. And there's a, an event near and dear to my heart and a lot of my friends. And we are continuing to crank out some neat stories. Everybody, whether you're the world's best or just the first time or starting out on that event, everybody has tons of trials and tribulations. It's really fun to share. And today we've got Steve Schlenz. We had him on the podcast. Um, geez, I think he was the third person ever. Thank you, Steve, for doing that, uh, being an early victim. Uh, and now he's back. Steve's not only done a bunch of Catalina crossings here in California and other races, but has done Molokai to Wahoo uh, seven different times. And so today what we do is Steve takes us through all this and shares stories from his first time in the Kiwi channel and the hard learning curve everyone faces around travel, logistics, and paddling in the race. Well, we hear about Steve being lost in the channel for three plus hours when his escort boat was unable to locate him during the madness, water world craziness of the start, um, as well as some great perspective on the mental challenges the race delivers and some of Steve's tactics and experience for overcoming those. Um, Steve relates stories of sinking boats, fixing large holes in his paddleboard before the race, working with boat captains, and the overall amazing camaraderie of this really, you know, very special event. So, you know, whether you've done Molokai to Wahoo before or are considering doing it for the first time, a lot of great uh, stories and perspective from Steve to enjoy. So, again, thanks for being here, you all. Um, Keep minimizing the plastic. More and more reports are coming out that we're having a real hard time in the water, in the ocean with the plastics, the big stuff and the small stuff. So let's all mellow out on it. Let's get out in the water, enjoy some summertime fun. And now let's get into the Molokai to Wahoo stories with Steve Schlenz. So Steve, man, you've done Molokai to Wahoo seven times from basically 2010 until, well, today, and we'll get to today. Um, so you got a pretty neat perspective of both solo and team, um, you know, activities over almost a decade, man. Yeah, I've, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I started doing Molokai back, uh, like one year after I started really racing competitively, I, I knew I had to do it. And to be very honest, I was, uh, uh, I was super scared <laughs> about the really, race, really? everything, everything you hear about how gnarly it is, this, that, and the other. And I, I was not a downwinder. I'm still not a downwind specialist kind of guy, but, uh, but I knew I wanted to do it. I saw that there was a team division. So I, I dove right in and, uh, grabbed a fellow paddler here. And, um, and so yeah, 2010 was my first year and I've, I've had a great time doing it. Yeah. And, and, uh, each year it's funny, you know, depend, I can't, it doesn't really matter who you talk to, who's done the event once or 10 times each year has its own set, set of challenges, whether it's the conditions are different or the logistics change, or, you know, it's like, there's so many variables and everybody will say, you know, and so this year, the, so 2010, you know, you, you sent me a few, a few little bullets on this and it sounded like that was a very much a learning year for you in terms of, you know, you, you thought it was a downwind race. So talk, and then as well as your logistics showing up at night, et cetera. So take us 
for that first year, especially for folks listening who maybe haven't done the event and are thinking about it. There's so many lessons I think can be learned from hearing other people's experiences. Oh, yeah. 2010 was definitely uh, a huge learning experience for me. The logistics of Molokai, um, Keone Watson had said, if you're on your board at the starting line, you've already won. (laughs) It's just so hard getting there. I mean, from, from figuring out that first time, where to stay on Molokai, where to stay on Oahu, your flight to Molokai, your your flight to Oahu, your, your boat from Molokai to Oahu, how to get your boat there, how to get your board there, um, how to figure out how to do your nutrition when you're there. I mean, every single thing. It is it's it is a uh, it is a challenge of logistics. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. first year. I, I jumped into it with a, with a good friend, Nick Bobroff, here in Santa Barbara. And um, I thought, you know, as we were training for this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We're going to do 32 miles dead downwind. There is nothing better. <laughs> and, uh, I like your laughter at that because you, you quickly learn this is not a downwind race. This is a, this is a quartering side chop race. Yeah. And so you got to know how to ride the bump and how to downwind, but you also know how to have to know how to catch the bump side chop and then turn in it and ride that stuff. So, um, that first year we, uh, we contacted the race people to get a boat and LJ Benson, um, one of the race directors, he's got this list of people who have boats. So he yep. gave me the name of a guy and a phone number and I called the guy up and, um, you know, it, it, it's one of these just classic Howley things. I mean, I called the guy up <laughs> and, and he picks up the phone. He's all, who dis? <laughs> hello? <laughs> who dis? I'm like, uh, hello? <laughs> who dis? <laughs> <laughs> I realized he's asking who is calling. Uh, so uh, the guy's name was Charlie and he was really not happy with me calling him. And so he said, you call me back later. So, okay, I will. And so I called back later. And, and once again, he picks up the phone. Who dis? I'm like, Oh, hi, I'm Steve. I'm calling from California about doing this race. And he's like, okay, well you get on my boat. You respect my men on your boat. You respect my boat. You do this. You show up with cash in your hand. I don't want no checks. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so Nick and I had a little talk and we thought, well, okay, we got a boat lined up, but, but let's, let's kind of ask around see if maybe there's another boat. And, you know, I, I don't know the guy who was supposed to be doing our boat, this Charlie guy. Maybe he was having a bad day, a bad, bad week, whatever. But um, we ended up uh, putting out some feelers. And, and a buddy of ours, Keith, uh, knew a guy in Waimanalo who had a boat. And so we, we called up this other guy in Waimanalo. His name was Keela. And uh, contacted Keela. And he was just absolutely down for it. He's like, I got, I got four different boats. We can go in this tiny one or we can go in the, the big one with the lap of luxury. It's going to mm-hmm. be really cool guy. And so, so we're like, fantastic. You know, there's Keith Malloy who just totally set us up with this guy, which is yeah. fantastic. So we, we went over there and the guy said, well, let's meet in Waimanalo. And uh, we're going to have a barbecue on like, I think it was Wednesday night. So come on out and you can meet us and we can figure it all out. So Nick and I rent a, a, a minivan. So here we are, these, these two Hallie guys from California in a minivan 
driving into Waimanalo at night. Now, Waimanalo, yeah. for those who don't know, is, is, is a very local place. Yeah, it's um, very rural. And uh, so here Nick and I show up at like 8 o'clock at night, and there's, or 9 o'clock at night, and there's this full-on barbecue going on. There's tons of guys out drinking. We get out of the, out of the minivan, and, and I don't really drink all that much. And as we show up, Nick, before we get out of the van, looks at me, he's all, if anyone offers you a drink, you say yes. <laughs> so <laughs> get out of the car. We, we open the door, get out, and there's just a bunch of local guys everywhere. And we hear somebody yell, hey, Cali boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're in the right place. <laughs> and we get out and up walks this just huge local guy, big smile, super cool, holding three beers. And he's like, you want a beer? <laughs> I'm like, hell yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to say no. <laughs> no. I'm not. So that one beer basically lit me up. Nick, Nick had to do the driving for the rest of the night. But uh, that was our introduction to Keela. Fantastic yeah. guy. And uh Keela, his his real name is Kilauea, and his brother Mana was going on the boat with me, which, by the way, is short for Makea. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys are legit Hawaiian; they're awesome. So they were they were fantastic. Um, we met them the next morning with our with our board. We put the board on the boat, and uh, and then they were to meet us over there. So we we hopped our flight over to Molokai on Thursday. It turns out that that's actually going super early to Molokai. Most people mm. show up on Sunday, didn't know this. Yep. So we were there with with uh, like three other people total this first time. So it was Mick DeBetta, uh, Pete Sterling, us, and then Jordy Mercer showed up like uh, about a day later. But that was it. Nobody was there. Yeah. And it was a dead. ghost town. God, when the first time you go to to that beach, um, Kalua Cove on Molokai, and you see it like with nobody there, it looks like a ghost town. Yeah, it is, man. It's like something out of like a like a zombie apocalypse movie. We we're like, whoa, where is everybody? Because some of it's a little dilapidated, some of it's very beautiful. I mean, it's all very beautiful, but that was my impression too. And I think I was, I should know this. I think it was 2010. I stayed with Mick. And Pete, I don't think you and I knew each other, probably crossed paths, maybe even met, but I remember being there early also, and it was just absolutely freaking dead quiet. Yeah, it was crazy. I bet I bet we did meet that year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're both like, who are you? Uh, so <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was so great being there, but God, what a crazy place. So Kalua Koei is um, the I, – I think the history here from what I heard was that the um, – the Molokai Ranch owned that whole the, – the company that owned Molokai Ranch owned that whole property. And then they were going to build a huge hotel out on the point. And the people in Molokai said, we don't want a huge hotel. Yeah. So the Molokai Ranch people said, you don't want a hotel? Okay, fine. We're out of here. And just – there's this beautiful golf course there. They just turned off all the water and walked away. And yeah, so there's that's, that's why there's all those buildings there and there's that, that golf course that's being reclaimed by nature, which is kind of cool. Yep. But it's also super eerie when you're walking through there. And then uh, <laughs> that first year, it was it was super late at night, and, and we're inside one of those one of those rooms where above us, I think it had been condemned, but our room was was okay. And uh, and I heard this this loud chirping noise at like two in the morning. 
thought, what is that? And I look out the window and there's a bunch of antelope or, or deer. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, it multiplied such an experience. And then there were, there's wild turkey everywhere. Yeah. But eventually everybody showed up and, uh, and the next morning and everybody showed up and then, and then the race was on. Um, but yeah. So talk about that. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say just, just getting to that point is, is such a challenge because you've got all these different logistics that you're trying to figure out and you don't know what things cost. And half the time you feel like you just show up with a checkbook and you look at somebody and say, how much should I write it for? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy experience. The, uh, yeah, let's. I'm sorry to be babbling here. I guess let's talk about the race, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all good, man. And that that's part of the tale. I mean, the race is there's a paddling aspect. There's like actually hands in the water aspect, which is you'll call that six ish hours, give or take. But then there's like a week or weeks or even like leading up to it, like days, six days of just like preparing and getting there. You know, it's it's funny. There's like the, the actual what you actually do physically is so small compared to the larger picture, which is what you're painting, which is really, which is really fun. It's part of the story as well. But then, so talk about now you got two guys from Santa Barbara who are first timers in this event. You've done Catalina, you've done other events. So you're like, you know, you, you know how to paddle long distance, but your expectations are a little bit out of whack. You're thinking this is going to be a downwinder and you hit the water and then talk, take us through that then when you guys realize, whoa, this is not just a downwinder. <laughs> this is something different. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, what you just said, by the way, to, I'm just going to go back for just a sec, is so accurate about how it's, it's not about this six-hour plus or minus race. And by the way, some years was significantly plus to that. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it, it's really about that whole process leading up to it. And the race itself, as you said, it's just such a minor part in all of that preparation to get there and do it. So um, to go back to the race then. So that year, uh, Nick and I had talked and the decision was made that, that I would start. Um, the boats are to stay away for, for I think it's 30 minutes. So yeah. So being newbies to, to the race and being newbies to doing a relay, we were like, oh, yeah, let's just switch every half hour, which quickly learned, I mean, extremely quickly, that you don't do that. You, mm -hmm. you, you switch every, every 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And then if it's really bad, you go down to five minutes. So we, uh, we did, we did a, I did the first half hour, Nick did the second half hour. And in that half hour of sitting on the boat, I got – I didn't get to the point of throwing up seasick, but, but you learn that the best place to be during this race is not on the boat. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> you just, you're bobbing around at, at five to six miles per hour for hours. You're like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'd rather be in the water paddling. Um, so that was, we quickly learned that it takes, it took, for me, it took about eight minutes to fully recover from like a 10 minute segment. And then the last two minutes I started getting a little seasick. We hop on the board and life is good again. So we, we did 10 minutes for the majority of it. Oh, cool. And, uh, um, the, the reality of, Hey, we're not going dead downwind really filled in after about hour one, because that first hour you're sort of getting out of the Lee of Molokai. Um, you're getting into the real deep water of the Kiivi channel, which, is a beast unto itself. I mean, you just, you don't realize if you've never done it, what, what you're really getting into. 
There are so many different races, and it's one of these things that I just I love talking about. I don't know that anybody else really likes to hear it, but that there are there's really <laughs> three different distinct aspects to this race. There's the first third, the middle third, and the last third. Mm, and it's yeah. really not thirds. It's more like the first quarter, the middle half, and the last quarter. But that that first quarter is sort of that sprint race of, of getting into the wind. And that middle half is is controlling yourself in the wind. And that last quarter is dealing with what Morgan calls the pit of despair, China wall and the yep. finish. And, and, uh, it's, it's when you get into that middle half where you start realizing this is not what I thought it would be. And there's big water. It's moving fast. You can't see any other boats. That was you know, I'm so used to the Catalina experience and all the others where you see all these paddlers around you, you see all the boats around you, you get a bearing. There, you could be in the trough between two waves and you don't even see your own boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's mind pretty you, cool. in 2017, my boat didn't even find me for a while. So it's easy to get lost out there. Um, <laughs> and so before the race, Nick and I were practicing um, – handoffs and, and how to do the, the relay exchanges. We watched a bunch of videos on YouTube and things like that. Um, and, and just tried to figure some stuff out. And so about two weeks before the race, we had a real windy day up here in Santa Barbara. We thought, perfect, let's, let's go do this. And we're out there paddling and this tuna boat passes us and we're, we're doing a downwinder in heavy wind. And maybe one minute after this tuna boat passes us, I look over at Nick and he yells and Nick's not a very excitable guy, but he yells and lifts his arms. And right then I see a shark just charge, hit his rail, turns yeah. and, hits his rail and goes back away. I'd never seen anything like that. And oh, I've never man. seen anything like that to this day where a shark charged, hit the guy, didn't bite, but hit the rail and then turned and went away. Yeah. And I looked Gnarly. at him and I, I just went, you want to go in? And he goes, no, <laughs> I was freaking out and he was fine. <laughs> so, so we finished our paddle and I, I mentioned it's only because it's going to lead into what happened during the race. So then that was two weeks before the race. Then about one week, maybe a little bit before, before the race, it was a beautiful sunny day and Nick and I are out paddling in, in carp over by Carpinteria reef and things are mellow and we're t- talking and suddenly out of the blue, there's this loud screaming noise as a seal has jumped out of the water right next to him and yelled and then jumped, moved back into the water. It was basically charging. Wow. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> like, oh my God. So then suddenly the whole discussion between Nick and I was, was that Nick just attracted all the wildlife. Yeah. So, yeah. Something about that board, man. This, the critters don't like too much. <laughs> oh yeah. So then, so then we're during the race. So now, now flash forward to during the race and I'm on the boat, Nick's on his board, there's big heavy seas and, and he's, he's coming towards me and I look and I see behind him a pot of dolphins coming and I just think, oh, that's beautiful. And so I grab his camera and I'm standing there on the back of the boat holding his camera as these dolphins are approaching Nick. And I just thought this is going to be fantastic. What a, what a neat picture. And as he's coming down a wave the dolphins come underneath him. Oh, wow. And Nick sees the dolphins, but he didn't see them coming from behind. So he looks down and he's told me about this. His take on, on it was, 
oh my God, there's these big gray things underneath me. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a pot of sharks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, so he, he looks up and he points down on his board while paddling, points down. Yeah. I hold up the camera and go, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was about a second or two later that they, they came up and he realized I'm surrounded by dolphins. So all was good. But that's incredible experiences. And yeah, you know, oh, yeah. the experiences that race go on and on from, uh, yeah. from that to at a certain point, the boat was getting knocked around and well, I'm going to go grab my bag and I open up the panels to the V berth to look in and it's completely filled with water. Yeah. The yeah. boat was sinking during the race and we didn't know it. <laughs> and so there's a, they were bailing out water during the race while we're racing from that front V berth. <laughs> and, and Nick said he had the same experience. I didn't say anything to him. He said he looked into the V-Birth, saw it, closed the doors again, and didn't say anything to me either. Like We both were just keeping it a secret from each other. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> want to distract. Yeah, that's, oh, you know, that's it. I mean, it's like you talk about the travel to get there, logistics to get there. You're on the water paddling. And then there's also, like, the boat factor. And, like, you know, we've had, had Nick Franco on. His boat was sinking when he was taking it across, and the Coast Guard had to drop a water pump to them. I mean, I remember my first year as I think 2010, looking back, was for some dumb reason, you know, the first time you don't really know what's going on, I was going to take my boat across too because I wanted to see the water. So we're leaving at 5 a.m. And it's like my guy and like three other locals bringing boards over. We're all hanging out and all of a sudden we're about to go. And this one guy looks at his boat and it's like there's, um, you know, dual motors and there's a shaft in between basically, like a connector shaft between the two motors. So it's steering and the thing was snapped. It had rusted and snapped. And this guy, they're like looking at it and, you know, I'm all antsy to go. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And then, dude, I mean, so what they do, they take the gaff, the fish gaff, cut it. No, it was the broom. It was like the mop for the boat. Cut it to length, fit it between the motors. And these guys roll into the channel with a freaking broom handle. <laughs> as the steering <laughs> shaft. You know, but it's just like, you know, it's like the people get beat. You get beat in the water. The boats get beat. And it's just like. Like, if you make it back to the finish line all together in one piece, again, you've won. Just get into the finish line, you win. And if you get to the um, start line, you win. And the finish line is the same thing. You know, it's just stories are never ending. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the easiest part of the race is actually doing the race. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's an easy that's race, true. by the way. That's true. <laughs> so then you and Nick, you do 2010. It's learning. A lot of great stuff. You come back uh, 2012, 2013. I'm sorry. You come back again with, now with another guy. Dan and you guys as, um, as the relay team and you win two years in a row, um, question there. And then I want to flip over to when you started doing it solo, but when you came back in 2012, um, who were you with? And it was Dan, um, who, who that is tell, tell us a little bit, but also like how you adjusted your game plan in the water, actually racing logistics aside, actually in the water what your guys game plan was to do so well and basically win your division in the relay sure uh dan van dyke is a paddler down in san diego and in 2011 i took the year off after after getting my butt kicked by the kiwi channel in 2010 and so in 2012 i wanted to do the race but but nick um off. He just wasn't able to do it that year. And I thought, nah, I don't, I don't want to do it solo. I guess I'll be out. And then about two weeks, it was literally two weeks before the race, Dan Van Dyke from San Diego called me and said, Hey, my partner can't make it. Can you do this? Mm. And I, and I 
said, uh, are you kidding me? So you got a boat already? Yes. You have a place to stay already? Yes. You've got all the logistics done already? Yeah, we do. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> so um, that part of the, uh, of the equation was, was just made simple for me that year. It was fantastic. Yep. And then um, during the race, so Dan and I knew each other. We didn't know each other well before 2012. Um, we paddled a few times, but we weren't real close. Um, and so, I mean, him being in San Diego, logistically, we just couldn't even be close. So when we did the race beforehand, we talked about it and the decision was made to, to do 15 minute for the first like hour or two, and then go to 10 minute almost immediately, uh, just exchanges. And then to actually go down to five minutes if necessary by the Mm. end of the race. And so we, we really had a lot of discussion about how are we going to do this, who's going to do what, and and uh, how it's all going to work out. And, you know, Dan's a fantastic paddler, so I was really lucky to be to be hooked up with him. And uh, and we were able to to win. We didn't win all the relays. We won our division, but yep. but it went it went extremely well. And we just had a lot of fun. And and I think also the fact that that we we both had, you know, I don't know about Dan to me, but but I had a little bit of respect for the guy. So yeah, with, uh, with what I think was mutual respect, we, we both were careful about, hey, how do you feel? What do you want to do? And that sort of thing. So it made mm. it a really good experience. Um, as I said, we, we, uh, we logistically, we stuck to the rum line, yep. uh, which, which is, I think, nine times out of ten, your best way to go in a race like this. Uh, what I heard from uh, about Jamie Mitchell was basically his discussion of every year he stuck to the rum line, you know, just he, straight across, just straight across. So if uh, that rum line means basically point A to point B in exact straight line, and if you can stay on that, fantastic. You got to be strong and you got to have endurance to do it. If you're in a relay, it's a whole lot easier. If you're solo, yeah. you gotta you gotta really know how to how to control yourself and the ocean. Um, but you know why paddle 34 35 miles when you can paddle 32 yeah so yeah and and Jamie obviously brought that out to the point of uh, of artistry uh, with his paddling so Dan and I uh, took a note from that book and and stuck to the rum line um, we had a real good driver who kept us on point um, and that's so key with your boat is to have somebody who is not afraid to communicate with you and tell you Hey, look, you're going too high or you're going too low or you're right on the line. Stay on this line. If they aren't communicating with you and you aren't communicating with them, you're in the dark and, and you may think you're going in the right direction, but you could be way off. I mean, again, that's my story. 2017 eventually, which, which was just, that was last year I did it solo and just said, I'm not, I'm not in this thing. So that was my third time. And I thought, good enough. I, I don't have anything left prove i'm I'm not going to do this solo again on a stock board Um, yeah i may do it future sometime on an unlimited but right now from that race in 2017 i I really got uh i really got humbled in a big way um yeah which you know that that channel is going to do to everybody but it it uh it really gave me a good slapping which i (laughs) which i apparently needed (laughs) yeah no it's true yeah it it's very true, man. And, and it's interesting. And there's kind of two pieces to that. What you just chat about one is there's a, there's a learning curve there. There's 20, there's, there's like 50 different learning curves when you do Molokai for the first year. But one of those 
is typically when you're new to the game, you get what you get from your boat support, meaning you're not going to get the cream of the crop boat guys, the guys who know the channel, who do like the outrigger guy, you know, who who know that channel super well. They understand the currents and tides and what it's doing and could put you on the right line. You're going to get somebody who's got a, he's a, maybe a strong boat guy. He might be from the other side of the island and he, you know, maybe hasn't done that, the channel two times or 20 times. And one thing's important is to like get some information from those around you, uh, you know, on Molokai beforehand and really try to figure out and pick your line and then make sure it's hard because there's so many things to figure out, not just paddling, that your boat guys and stick to it, right? Because again, and I've had this, I've had this myself where a legit boat guy, guy's a great fisherman, water guy, but hasn't done the channel much. And he was like, no, 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 we got to go up. We got to go up more towards uh, Hanama Bay. No, 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 you got to hit that and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like you said, Steve, you know, it's a 32 mile race and we ended up paddling 34 because you do this little arc and you think you're going to get in this current and kind of swoop in. And sometimes that, that happens. But so that, you know, that's, that's one major learning curve, you know. Um, but then tell us, I mean, that 2017 year, you know, you're doing it solo. You come back and you were like, I mean, just on fire in general with paddling and super strong in many events. But you got disconnected from your boat. And it, what, took three hours for them to find you? And that, yeah, it was, that was pretty tough one. So I, the first time I did it solo was 2015 and, um, 2015 was super flat year recently where there was a hurricane coming up from the South and it just shut off the, the, uh, the trades. And so I, I was, I hadn't really trained all much. I knew it was my first solo effort, but I wasn't taking it real seriously. My thought was, Hey, look, I'm going to have a boat next to me. Um, I just, all I need to do is just go arm over arm. I don't care how I finish and, uh, and I just want to get through it. And I got super lucky. Keone Watson, he, he, for, for business reasons, couldn't make it at the last second. He was super bummed, but his boat guy, Jim Beaton, who is just a legend, um, became available. And oh, cool. so, so Keone and Jim just hooked me up. So I had, I had Jim Beaton as my boat, boat man who just, as you just said, is probably one of the best guys at getting across that channel. He's 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 escorted the best paddlers. He's escorted the best outrigger guys. He's escorted the best surf skis. He's escorted the best outrigger teams. I mean, he just he had it down. And that was also, um, I'm, I know I'm going back here, but that was also the first year that that my wife came with. And at the time, cool. we were we were still dating. I told her beforehand, I say, look, you're going to be on the boat. It's going to be gnarly. There's going to be big seas. You might get seasick. I don't know. You want to do this. And she goes, no, 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 I'll go. And it was that flat, beautiful year. And, and Jim's on the boat and he's fantastic. And she was like, God, this is great. This is, this is the best race I've ever been <laughs> I don't know. This is really yeah. beautiful. I don't know what <laughs> you're so scared about, Steve. This is so nice out here. <laughs> exactly. I was like, God, this is my race. is really a pleasure. And uh, so I did the race. I, I ended up I didn't train, as I said, nearly enough before the race. Everyone started realizing, oh, crap, this is going to be a flat year. And I had Darren Mercer and Mike Takahashi come up to me both separately and just say, hey, look, this is a year you could win. Because they both know I'm not a downwind specialist, oh, but yeah. I'm a flatwater guy. Right. But they both said, hey, this is your race. 
God, I wish I had trained them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I ended up coming in uh, in in seventh overall, which was which was great. Obviously, I didn't win, but I had a good time. But um, second to uh, in my division to Ludo Dulo, and Ludo is yeah. is this French guy who's just an absolute stud. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I, you know, I always want to beat Ludo and I, I have once or twice, but boy, he, he, uh, uh, he got me that year, but I thought, Hey, great. I'm going to do this again. And so, um, you know, coming into the finish, we had that huge swell. I was racing Tom and Nick Carroll, Tom and I are both on the Tom's on the board as we're coming around the wall and we both start paddling for a bomb. Oh, and, and he is just to my right by like two feet and the wind's as you know, when you're coming in, the wind's blowing in your face and we're both just scratching, scratching, scratching. And he barely gets over the ledge as I get blown out the back and oh. just catches this bomb all the way through. I look up and he's like 300 yards in front of me. I said, no way. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome though. He and I talked a little bit about that afterwards because he just, he, he took off. I mean, it's amazing what, what happens when you get a good wave. Yeah. So, so they came back the next year and it was a real year of Molokai. And my wife saw the boat and she realized, oh, no, this sucks. Uh, being on the boat is not a good thing. <laughs> so I, I, I really did train that year. I got second again to Ludo, which, hey, you know, I was okay with, but I still want to try to beat him. So I came back in 2017. And this year I, I got a board made special for the race. I've been training my butt off. I'm thinking this is going to be it. And before the race starts, they give you those little GPS trackers and you give them to your boat, and they keep them on the boat, and that way people can follow you online. So I picked mine up, put it in my pocket, and thought, when I see Kilo, I'm going to give it to him. And I saw him that morning. Never saw him. Oh, wow. In 2017, like a lot of stuff went wrong. As I said, I got a board made special for the race. And when it was shipped over, the front of it just got crushed. Oh, um, no. It shows up at the race, and it's got it's – got, like a one foot by one foot, just bashing inside of it, just through oh. the whole deck. Oh God! Oh. So, Buzzy Kerbox had a bunch of uh, had a bunch of silicon paste, and I just filled the thing up, cover it with stickers, and and it held actually. But it was you know they made the front of that board weigh about two pounds more. Yeah, and then uh, um, the room that I was staying in, the people who, who I had Airbnb'd from canceled at the last second. So that got screwed up. Like all sorts of stuff was going wrong. Um, Kila was going to escort me, um, as I said, but then I couldn't meet him before the race. So we're supposed to meet there at the start. We never met at the start. So I had my GPS tracker in my pocket and we took off for the race and there's big seas and it's kind of gnarly. And suddenly I'm alone and I'm, racing in this race and there's no one around and and i've got one bottle and half hour in i'm i'm kind of starting to sip on it and one hour in i'm done with that bottle oh, and geez. i'm looking around and i don't see anybody and i thought that's all right it's all right he's gonna come up and so i keep racing and thinking okay he's gonna find me he's gonna find me and 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 now i'm not really seeing many boats at this point now i'm like two hours in oh, and the reality geez. of what's going on hits me and i say okay i can see a wahoo I got to get myself there and, yeah. and, uh, and I'm on a paddle board. I'm in shape. I have trained. I don't have any water, or any nutrition with me, but that's okay. I just, just take my time and get there. And, and so in my head, it 
I was like, okay, race is off. But now I just want to get across. And so I start paddling mellow and about two and a half hours, I see another boat and I wave at them and they come on by and I say, Hey, can you, uh, can you hail my boat, please? <laughs> <laughs> so, so they hail the boat and they contact the, uh, the race committee and then they take off with their paddler and then I'm alone again. And it was, it was about another half hour before anyone came up again. And I heard this rumbling behind me. I'm wow. at a three hour mark. And mind you, by the way, at the three hour mark on my GPS, which is on my board, I'm at um, 15 miles or 16 wow. miles, excuse yeah. me, at, at two and a half hours, I was at 16 miles. So at three hours, I'm at like 18 and a half miles. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hey, I might beat six hours. I could still kick ass in this thing. Yeah. Like, I got a shot. And, and I'd been depleted, but I still felt great. And this, I heard this rumbling behind me, and it's a race committee. Oh, and no. they had received the hail. They couldn't find me. And so then they, they were looking at the GPS trackers, and they're like, well, there's Steve's boat, but where's Steve? And then they realized, that's not Steve's boat. This GPS tracking <laughs> thing, yeah, isn't Steve's boat. And so they come up, and there I am. And they said, we found you because you had that beeper in your pocket. Because I never found my boat. No I had this beeper in my hey. pocket. That's how they found me. So they gave me water, which, which was wonderful, but as a paddler, I think, you know, at that point, you're so nutritionally depleted. Oh, just yeah. 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 Sort of calories. Like, yeah. It's like drinking emptiness. So, right. you know, I drink this water and I'm like, I still need something. And my boat came up about a half hour later. So it was about three and a half hours in where I get my first nutrition. And what I should have done, quite frankly, is just stop take a whole bunch of nutrition in and then yeah. just uh, and go in that again way of, Hey, survival. But instead I'm like, well, I'm kicking ass. I gotta, I gotta keep going. And so I did not realize how depleted I was. Oh, and, and it's that last quarter of the race when you hit that again, Morgan calls it the pit of despair. It's the shelf just off of Oahu yep. where the water starts getting super jumbled. You're off of Hanama Bay. It's not easy. At that point is when the, the, the reality of my trip hit me. And, right. and by the way, on the way to Hanama Bay, my, my boat comes back up to me and the guy says, do you know where you're going? And I said, yeah, right, right there. And he's like, well, you're headed towards Waimanalo. So, oh, <laughs> so I ended up doing just short of 37 miles that yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. I hit the pit of despair. I was averaging about two to two and a half miles per hour where I thought I was going to beat six hours. It actually took me, I think a little over seven and a half hours and I was just destroyed. Oh Um, man. So talk about that. I mean, you know, that pit of despair, it's not just that race, it's any race and you've done things like Catalina and other long distance races, which, um, you know, you tend to, at times these long events get into a place where you're not feeling well, your, your mind gets a little bit, you know, off kilter whether you're going two and a half, you know, knots or you're just not feeling well. So what do you, Steve, as a, you know, somebody who's been competitive paddling for a long time and done many long events and probably hit that pit of despair, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, mentally in many different times, I'm guessing, um, maybe not, but how do you deal with that? What's your kind of te- technique or tactic for like when your mind goes south or gets sour, what do you do? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, for everybody, I suppose it's a little bit different. But early on, I, I heard Mick DeBetta talking about 
seeing himself in a race and he saw some video of himself and it was about five hours in, in the Molokai race. And so he's approaching the finish. He's, he's at that place near China wall where life gets a little bit rough. And he said he was watching and he saw that his stroke was really poor, that it wasn't as strong as it should have been. And he, and he said, I don't know who the interview was with. I really don't remember, but I recall him saying, and I knew that despite how how I didn't look like I was paddling optimally, everybody else was in the same place or worse. Yeah. And, right, and right. that's, that's sort of how I, how I deal with it is this Mick DeBetta. Yeah. There's some comfort of, in that. Yeah. Yeah. Of knowing I'm not alone. Everyone else is hurting. So now is the time more than ever to really turn it on. And, and and to start getting there now in 2017 turning it on was was not really an option for me anymore i was so depleted it was just about yeah. finishing and surviving but in other years it really was yeah. about this is where and and i've i've done it in catalina i've done it uh in the rock to rock which is a channel crossing race uh i've done it here at molokai and other places where when you're tired you know that your competitor is so turn it on and that's, that's yeah. where you really got to, even if, even if your form is not optimal, you got to turn it on and fight through that at that point, physically, mentally, emotionally. And, um, you know, I talk about, uh, and I, and I joke about sometimes getting through the wall as a matter of having, uh, um, ignorance and, uh, and caffeine. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. <laughs> but, Definitely some caffeine does not hurt at all. You know, <laughs> a little, little injection of energy is always a good thing. <laughs> exactly. So after uh, having done yeah. that course, Steve, for, I mean, gosh, a good seven times. Uh, and, and what you described earlier was there's kind of these thirds, the first kind of start, the third and the middle chunk, and then sort of that the last third where you hit China wall and the shelf and everything. And, and I know they're, they're different. And I mean, because you, when you encounter each of those areas, you're in a different place, both mentally and physically, you know, the first third, you're, you're active alert. You're just going middle of the way. You're still feeling good. And towards the end, you know, it's, there's, there's challenges there, but what would you say is like physically the conditions as to say the most challenging and, and take into account the beginning, that first third where it's just it's water world, man. You know, there's like a hundred paddlers, there's a hundred boats. It's freaking crazy. It's all chopped up. You know, which, which part of those, which of those thirds would you just call the most physically demanding, um, of the whole race? So, um, that's a great question. Uh, cause they're all so completely different Yeah, and yeah. you're feeling so great at the start, but as you said, it's water world. Yeah. There are boat wakes galore or knocking around there are boards everywhere there's people everywhere and it's those boat that make it really crazy but yeah. the more wind there is the nicer it is and you're feeling good but it's also it's not easy paddling right. and that middle part where you're you're a little bit spent but now you're in the heart of the race and you're trying to control your circumstances and the board and and catching bumps and riding bumps properly and linking them and connecting them. And that's an absolute blast when done correctly. And when not done correctly, that can be a living hell. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are, those are each a distinctive part. But for me, that last part where, where you're depleted, but now you've got to really tap into your reserves and mentally say to yourself, okay, this is where I need to, to focus and do everything right 
that that to me is the toughest part. Yeah. But it's also the most rewarding part because yeah. because you're fighting through a section where your speeds are going to come down. But as I said earlier, that's that's where I subscribe to the to the to the Mictabetta school of okay, now right. go harder. Yeah. Uh, I've passed a lot of people in that section where they're hurting. Right. And and it's also visually just stunning. I love that because the yeah. water there is so crystal clear and beautifully blue. The colors of blue that you see during that portion are amazing. And then you get yourself next to China Wall and suddenly you've got these big swells coming up and hitting the wall and coming back. And the, the, the fastest place in that section, typically, not always, but typically, is right against that wall. And so right against people, it. people will, will look at me as I'm paddling that section and think, you're a lunatic because I'm, yeah. I'm five feet away from the wall, good wave, and I could get crushed. But it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, you, you, you keep yourself mentally on board and, and physically moving. Yeah, that's my favorite stretch there too. Uh, Because I I don't know, for some reason, like, you you know, in the beginning of the race, you're distracted by the boats, the people, and the fact that you're like, I have, you know, all these hours ahead of me, you're excited. In the middle of the race, you're just like kind of slogging-ish. And then towards the end, for me anyway, it's like, while it's challenging because the currents get really weird there, you turn the corner at Portlock Point and that wind hits your face, while that's physically challenging, the the conditions there actually kind of wake you up a little bit because like you said it's like there's this big cliff and yeah it's really beautiful for sure but like you can get right against that thing man i mean having paddled that before you feel it you're like i can be like almost arm's distance from this freaking giant cliff and be going way faster than if i was like 30 40 feet out there you know and then you turn the corner and you got to look for waves you got to kind of pick your way through the reef and what's nice about that is now it's kind of a little bit more tactical you know you're kind of looking who's around me can i catch that bump can i not how do i you know slither around the wind and stuff and so it's kind of a nice treat of sorts depending how you see that race at the end where hey here's some new things for your mind to think about and to kind of distract from you might not be feeling so great um but uh, i don't know that that last part i think for me is my favorite i i agree i love i love coming around portlock point and catching a wave can be so tide dependent um in 2018 is the last year when I did it with Morgan came around the point and just hugged that wall. And, and as I'm coming around, I passed three teams because I was just literally against that wall. And then, um, and they were, they, we were a co-ed team. These were, these were two man teams. So I was able to pass three teams coming around the wall and then catch a wave. And God, it's just the, Best feeling, and, and as yeah. you said, it's it's mentally you got to be there and you got to be in the moment and watching, and and it's so tide dependent. If it's a low tide, yeah, you don't want to be when you catch a wave. You don't want to be super inside. I've 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 made that mistake too. <laughs> I've yeah, made all the, that's right. I, life is life is about uh, learning from your mistakes. And uh, in 2013, I rode right over the reef, broke the fin out of the board, and we kept paddling. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, so just, I know. You know I remember coming in my first year, and because my my a friend of mine lives right there in Waikai, and I was there with him for a week, and so I paddled that stretch, man. I paddle around out past Portlock to China Wall, almost to Hama Bay. Like I did like five or six times because I knew. I mean, that's all you could really test. You're not going to paddle out in the middle of the channel and come back in. And I knew at the end 
of the race, I'd be taxed. I wanted to understand, hey, what little advantages can I get? So I knew that stretch. I kind of watched the tides and I knew where to be because I'd paddled it like five, six times. And end of the race, I was like excited because I'm like, dude, I'm so close. You know, I knew I was there. I'd made it almost. And I had this little line I'd picked out previously, just practicing around Portlock Point, you know, and then picking through the reefs. And there was a water safety guy. Uh, patrol. He's like, dude, he was basically like pushing me away from the inside wall, that spot you mentioned. And I was like, no, man. He's probably looking at me like, who's this, Hallie? Dude, you're going to wreck your board. Get, you know, and he was basically, <laughs> you're out of this area, get in the middle of the channel. And I was like, no, because then you're in that wind. And there's no bump out there because you're in the channel. And I was like, oh, so I had to slog through it, you know. And I was like, no, man, I know. Come on, let me go through. He's like, no, get out there. So, <laughs> but, you know, like it's probably safer in the end, but, uh, it's nice to Been get there, away. done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So then, after all this time, Steve, and you know, it's solo and and um, in the relay and everything, like, and I know this is an open-ended, long question, but I mean, if there's like two pieces of pieces of advice, somebody's listening to this and goes, you know what, that's on my bucket list. I'm doing that. What would, if you could give one piece of advice for logistics? Again, this is a hard question because there's so many. And one piece of advice for like on the water, you know, real time racing, like what would those two things be? Okay, so um, wow, uh, know, both I, of them I involve. Pick, <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't pick one myself. <laughs> yeah, you, you threw me a a, a serious <laughs> fastball uh, right down the inside. Uh, let me see if I can if I can even hit this with the bat. Um, so uh, uh, first off. My thought is go in with an open heart and mind throughout. Um, respect what you're getting into. Know that it's super serious. Also know that um, if you got a boat lined up, worst case scenario, there is there is no shame in getting on that boat. Um, I, I know people who have gotten super sick in the channel. And so my piece of advice for the channel uh, is is actually not about the paddling because, look, if you're doing this race – it means you qualified and you know how to paddle. They're not going to let somebody in this race if, if they don't have the skill to, to paddle themselves across. So really what it comes down to, in my opinion, is nutrition. And, mm -hmm. and have your nutrition dialed. It is really hot in Hawaii, which means that while in California, on a typical long-distance race, I'm going to go through a, a bottle – with uh, with some electrolyte and some calories in it. If I'm going to go through that bottle of like 20 to 24 ounces in 45 minutes to an hour in Hawaii, I'm going to go through that bottle in like a hand. So if you put the same nutrition in your every single bottle that you do here in one hour, you will have doubled the amount of nutrition that you took in, the amount of calories and everything else. Yeah. In two hours, you'll have quadrupled it. So don't do that. What I would suggest is that, is that you do one bottle of water and then one bottle of nutrition, one mm -hmm. bottle of water, one bottle, because what I've seen is a lot of people become, it's a really doesn't kick in until about the three hour mark where you hear about people getting seasick when they, when they do this race or getting, or getting sick to their stomach or other problems. And it's usually around the three hour mark. And what it is, is that they've doubled up on nutrition and didn't realize right. it. And, right, right, and it's, right. it's, so that's the, to me, that's the piece of advice that I 
give because I, I think that most people who are in this race, they already know how to paddle. They already know how to do it. So really focus on, on getting yourself there safely as far as nutrition goes. Um, if, uh, if you're feeling sick to your stomach, don't take in any more nutrition. Have some electrolytes and water. And when I say electrolytes, I mean like electrolyte pills that have no calories. Yep, just yep, just yep. a bunch of electrolytes. And if you get too many electrolytes, so what? You're going to pee them out. It's okay. Yep. Yeah. But if you don't have enough, if you if you don't have enough water, you're really going to hurt yourself. And if you overdo your nutrition, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing worse than paddling on a bloated stomach. Right. And I think right. a lot of people that happen to them and don't realize it. I think it's mm. actually pretty common. Yeah. Um, Good so point. That's my silly piece of advice as far as doing the paddle. As far as uh, the logistics go, um, you know, the, the, the thing that makes life the nicest is sharing. And so uh, what I would say is, is try to plan stuff with friends. I mean, you can't – if you're doing it solo, obviously you can't share a boat. But you can share a place to stay. You can do flights together. You can ship your boards together. You can, yeah. do, you can do paddles before and after together. Don't do this alone if, if, you, if you can avoid it. Doing this alone is really, really hard. Yeah, and, that's a great point. That's a great point. So what I would say is just you know, find somebody else or, or other, a lot of other people who are doing it and, and do the stuff together because it's – Number one, it's, it's great for camaraderie. Number two, it's great mentally. And number three is, is that you're getting assistance throughout that, that you don't have to constantly have all the answers because you're not. You're right. just not going to have all the answers. And even yeah, the people who, who do this race regularly, who live in Hawaii, this race, even for those people, is a logistical nightmare. I yep. mean, Catalina is a tough race logistically. This case, this case, this this. This race is, in my opinion, about four times as hard as Catalina logistically. Yeah, yeah. No, that's all good perspective and, and input, man. I appreciate that, Steve. And that's one of the things is I'm hoping if people listen to this, there's some veterans who've done it and are nodding their head and going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And there's new people who are like thinking, oh, whoa, that's a good good." point i didn't think about that I didn't think about that you know so there's a lot of value here in sharing man so so i just want to say thanks i mean there's a lot of great wisdom i'd call it honestly and uh, uh epic stories man so thanks for being back on the podcast again and talking talking today man oh it's absolutely my pleasure josh thank you so much for having me i, I, I just I, I really do feel honored and and privileged and um you know again this is uh to me, this is this is something I love doing with these races, and and Molokai is is I think world renowned as as the race to to do uh, and to uh, and to experience. And so you know, got to go in with a humble heart. And uh, I, I try to, as I said in 2017, the the race really taught me a lesson. But you know, it's it's going to always teach everybody a lesson. It's not yeah. it's not easy, and if it was easy, everyone would do it. So <laughs> it's it's awesome to those people that are doing it. I I just always tip my hat and say congratulations yeah. and good for you. It is not easy, and people shouldn't feel compelled to do it either. There's there's also that aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, good point. Feel compelled that no, you don't have to do it to be a to be a complete human or complete paddler. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just have true. fun with paddling. And if you're not going to have fun doing this, you probably shouldn't. Yep. You know, you probably shouldn't be doing this race if it's not going to be fun. This is this is about having fun and 
and uh, and I came back to that spot last year with Morgan and just just Good. had a blast. So yeah. I, I love. I love doing this, and, and again, thank you for having me on. I'm super, absolutely, super man, hundred percent. Cool, Steve. Well, hey, thanks again, man. Thank you. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the uh, your podcast app, and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories. Uh, hit me up, Josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.